Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the 14th season of the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We are so honored to continue to share our guests' personal and powerful stories of life with depression, as well as the information and research that professionals share here to help us all on our journey with depression. For the past several weeks that feel like years to many of us, we have had our lives turned upside down and inside out with the COVID-19 pandemic. And in that time, Those of us who live with mental health challenges like depression and anxiety have had to figure out ways to not only adapt to the many changes in our world, but to protect and manage our mental health as well. Some of that work included deciding how much news or social media was healthy for us to consume. Some of it was reminding ourselves that when our world feels out of control, the only thing that we have control over is our reaction to it. That is, when we can even manage that. Mm -hmm. And some was working hard to find any silver linings we were able to. Today's episode falls into that last category. While we are seeing and hearing dire predictions of an impending mental health post-pandemic crisis, focusing on that at this point does not help us in our attempt to move forward. Which is why when we read an article in Time magazine titled, Could COVID-19 Finally Destigmatize Mental Illness?, we reached out to its author, Dr. Jessica Gold, an assistant professor of psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Here now is Dr. Gold giving her voice to depression. So if we can, let's start with all the research and reports going around suggesting we're in for a huge post-pandemic spike in psychological crises, including suicides. A lot of the predictions are based on, you know, they call houses and they poll them and they ask them things like, have you been feeling more anxious or worried? Or have you been feeling more sad more days? Or have you been feeling less able to do things you're interested in? And a lot of those questions, as probably a lot of listeners know, are pretty subjective. And during a pandemic, it's quite hard to know like what a baseline is. So one can imagine Imagine that most people are feeling more anxious, more sad, less able to do the things they want to do. So it's really hard to know a lot from those numbers. As a psychiatrist delving deeper, Dr. Gold says she's seeing a mix of reactions. I definitely see 
people that are more anxious and are more depressed. I definitely see people who were doing quite well for a long time who are coming in saying, you know, now I'm feeling more anxious than I was before. I'd like to revisit some of my medications, things like that. And then there is a group of people that are doing quite well where actually being removed from some of their triggers was helpful or actually having time to focus on self-care was helpful. And they're often neglected from this conversation of sort of impending doom and gloom of post-pandemic mental health. And that's not to say that I don't think there's a problem and there will be a problem and there will be an increase in need. I think it's just important to contextualize it and think a little bit more about what it looks like and whether it's more of like a risk that we could think about mitigating or helping as opposed to just an inevitable thing that's going to happen. So how do we, as people who live with mental health challenges and professionals in the mental health field, work to reduce that risk? I think if you, it's really hard to think about different diagnoses and how they play out. But if you think about just anxiety itself, you know, worry and the unknown is what's causing a lot of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the unknown part is kind of not going to change anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a lot of sitting with the idea of this is what it feels like to be anxious. I'm anxious. That's okay. Being anxious makes sense right now. What can I change and what can't I change? How can I cope with the anxiety I have right now? Does it help you to read a book? Does it help you to take a bath? Does it help you to watch a silly TV show? And sort of more mindfully incorporating that stuff into your day. I think thinking about whether you need more professional help or whether you think therapy or having an external person to talk to might be helpful is also worth thinking about now and not later. Later being when symptoms are significantly worse or when we're in crisis, having sunk into depression's pit and having suicidal thoughts. But if you were to get help earlier on in the cycle, when you notice you're not sleeping well, not eating well, not as interested in the activities you were before, and that's not just for a day, it's like a week or two, and you're noticing that people around you are saying that you're not acting like yourself and asking you questions. In the mental health field, there's a phrase, before stage four, just as you wouldn't intentionally wait until your cancer had spread before addressing it, we need to practice prevention and seek early intervention for our mental illnesses, too. I do think there are more people that are starting to recognize that, you know, not being able to concentrate on work from home was not just because they're working from home, but because they actually are sad or anxious. Mm. I think that people are trying to name those symptoms a little bit more. Mental health is not separate from physical health. Everything that people are doing, you know, recovering from being infected with COVID, recovering from economic strain, recovering from having someone you love die from COVID, all of that has an emotional component that very much will affect the course of recovery. So you can't separate it and actually have this country get well. So you asked the really big and really great question, what if this pandemic is actually what mental health needed to stop being stigmatized and start being valued? And that second part was intriguing to me as well. So if you would comment a bit on that, I'd, I'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as a mental health provider and especially someone who has a lot of these conversations in social media and and uh, writes herself, I think I, I get in these places a lot where I'm like, all right, we're talking about mental health. Maybe this is a sign that people are valuing it. Maybe this is a sign that something's going to change. But it's never felt like this. I think I've been asked more about mental health now than I have probably ever. I think that, you know, even just the way that you can tell the media's interest in it is very different. I think the normalization of it with um, bosses being home with their kids and feeling stressed and not just being able to say that's just an employee problem. I think it has really normalized that this isn't such a abnormal reaction to these things that like anybody could get anxiety or depression and that we need to be thinking about them more. And since we're all experiencing this strange time together, it seems there's more vulnerability, more authenticity and less pretending the filtered social media presentations of our lives are our total reality. In a sense, too, when everybody's world gets turned upside down, there is no right side up. And because of that, I think everybody experiences some level of, wow, this is not what I expected, or and this is making me feel this way. And I think... It might not make everybody feel anxious and depressed to the level that they need treatment, but I think it definitely makes people much more aware of how changes in life or how challenges in life can contribute to your emotional well-being. And for the many people who have been working or not working from home and have had days where they feel so overwhelmed or so completely shut down, that doing the things they had to do became a real struggle. It might now be easier for them to understand why someone might need to apply for disability because of depression. I think it becomes less like, I don't understand how that's the same as not physically being able to go to work. I think people don't understand how much it really can affect your day-to-day life, and having even the slightest hint of what it feels like to have your life be dysfunctional and then try to do your work on top of it and have emotions about it because pretty much everybody has an emotional reaction to what's going on, I think makes it pretty clear that it's not in people's heads or a lie or something that people are just coming up with to get out of work. It's very real and it can really affect people and we need to talk about it. We need to deal with it. We need to help people have access to it affordably. And we need to make it something that isn't shameful. Gold acknowledges system-wide changes are required in the mental health care system, including easier and equal access, increased reliable funding, and parity with physical health care in insurance coverage and reimbursement. And she thinks this could be the time those changes actually happen, since the wolf is now knocking loudly on the door of the traditional healthcare system. And I think now you're seeing hospital systems go, wait a second, like all of our frontline workers are at risk for higher rates of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, substance use, on top of their existing whatever their baseline conditions were, even if they weren't diagnosable. And 
we have to do something and we have to do something now. And, you know, from all levels of leadership in different hospitals are seeing like actual change and actual action. And I think that's different. And I think some of that is because people are all having this realization that it's not abstract. It's very tangible and very real and it could happen to anyone. If this conversation about attention focused after crisis, but not leading to lasting needed systemic changes, inequality of care being considered less or other, and avoidable resulting deaths sounds like other conversations we're all having right now, it does to us too. You're absolutely right. For better or worse, this pandemic has like shown a spotlight on the injustices and inequalities in most of our systems, which very much includes racism. And medicine is far from able to be removed from that conversation. Um, You know, more black people die of COVID than other people. And we looked at that data and saw that data, but no one was protesting about that data. These have been huge, enormous issues that maybe because of their enormities almost scare people from tackling them. But just because something is big and hard and requires effort and work does not mean that it doesn't need to be changed or worked on. And I think racism and inequity in all of our systems is definitely one of those places And I think, you know, having open and honest conversation and being forced to have the conversation because it's in the news, it's in your workplace, it's in your family, it's it you can't avoid it It has to do something. So we end where we began with the question that is the title of Dr. Gold's article. Could COVID-19 finally destigmatize mental illness? Yeah, I mean, I would never, I mean, it's so weird, right? Like, I would never say, like, COVID was a great thing for mental health, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's a horrible thing to say. Nobody wants COVID. Nobody wants a pandemic that kills this many people, affects this many people, or causes this much economic, emotional, and physical strife in a country that you love. But at the same point, you can see there has to be something that comes out of it that's positive. Otherwise, it's a lot of suffering for nothing, to be honest. And I do think you have to say, like, what could come out of this for mental health could be good because we've never really had a reckoning with talking about it. And so is there going to be a positive effect on COVID-19 on mental health and mental health services in this country? I really hope so. Oh, I hope so, too. Yes. These are times where every social construct seems like it's under a microscope. And this is just this amazing potential opportunity to reevaluate and break down these constructs. And that so includes mental health. But I think we have a window of opportunity where we all need to really step up and be part of that breaking down of stigma, of myths that surround and contain and like reinforce everything about depression. Mm-hmm. That was one of the points uh, I didn't include when I edited it, but we talked about that these things didn't get big and hard to deal with and talk about and fix 
in a vacuum. You know, we fed them. So, you know, we allowed that if we didn't actually encourage their growth. So I really appreciated that Dr. Gold said, you know, we have to stop accepting things, including this predicted spike in suicides and other mental health problems as inevitable and get in there now and say, let's get the word out to people and say, get help early. Know know the signs, know the symptoms, which we will link to. And if you have them, you know, screen yourself, talk to your doctor, talk to a therapist and start getting treated now so that as we reenter the workforce or whatever is going to happen next, we are in a better place to do that. Exactly. And I would say online therapy being paid for by insurance companies is one very clear example that I would be shocked if it didn't go forward. And that can open up a lot of uh, support and possibilities for people that were not available before. Mm-hmm. We will be linking to Dr. Gold's Time Magazine article, which again is where we uh, first learned of her and this idea. Thanks for listening. And please share these episodes with anyone you think could learn or benefit from the information in them. And they're all downloadable. Thanks, Bridget. Nice to be back. Love you. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.